Well, good morning, everybody. God bless each of you. And may He bless you with truth from His Word that you can take with you and just build your lives around it and be encouraged by it. Today, what we're going to look at is Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. And uh, we're going to look at some other passages, too, that will provide some background as to what was going on in the church at that time. And Paul was, the, was who was involved in the missionary work in, in establishing the churches of Galatia. And he'd been on that mission journey for about a period of four years, and then all of a sudden, something crept into the church. And what crept into the church was a group of people called Judaizers. And Judaizers, they, uh, a good portion of them could have been saved people. Um, but they had a connection to the law, and they loved the law, and they loved the fact that they were required to keep the law. They wanted to take and, I guess, plant within that church in Galatia that theology that is contrary to justification by faith in Christ Jesus. And what is justification? Justification is a declaration of God saying that we are acceptable to him because Jesus Christ has paid the cost of our sin. So that doesn't make us something, but it says that we are now redeemed. We are now seen as acceptable before God because of Christ's work. And Christ's work goes on in our lives from the point we come to him to when we go into heaven to be with him. It continues on. So there's no point in our lives does ability become a part of God's plan of justification, let alone salvation. And so Paul is dealing with this issue. And so if I may, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, this is the King James. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We are those Gentiles. Praise God. And so to give you a little background here, this had been going on for quite some time. The Judaizers were following Paul's ministry and always trying to supplant it. And not only his ministry, but he was, they were busy with the apostles as well. 
So if we were to turn to Acts, and we went to Acts chapter uh, 15. In Acts chapter 15, this is what the Bible says. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this is what was going on in Galatia, is that the Judaizers had come in and had started to put a, a, another demand on the Galatian Christians, believers, and saying, you must be circumcised. And that was tied to the law. We know that cursed is everybody that is under the law. We were cursed before we came to Christ, before he called us to himself, because we were under the law. And the law just says we are guilty. That's all the law says. And the other thing that the law requires is a payment, a payment for our guiltiness, which is our sin. And we could never pay for our guilt. We could never pay for our sin. But Jesus Christ came. He paid for our sin. The sinless one, the holy one of God, the perfect one. He went in our places. We just heard what Pastor had read and had shared with us. And so we see it as that Jesus Christ is the only one that is perfect enough to pay the penalty that God requires and that we could be accepted before God as part of the brethren. But when God looks at us and he sees Christ, what did he save us from? He saved us from death. But he saved us from the wrath of God. The world apart from Christ, and we used to be a part of them, do not know nor do they feel, nor do they care, but the wrath of God breathes down their neck every minute of every day. Every day. Hell's fire is licking at their heels, though they cannot see it. The flames are just licking at their heels, waiting for the point in which they die, just to consume them, body and soul, and bring them into their perdition. But it is Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, our Savior, our Lord, and He is ours because He has made us His. He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And so out of His great mercy and His great love, He has called us unto Himself. Now, we sit week in and week out, and we're in our Bibles, but we're under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. We are under godly men who preach the Word of God from this pulpit on a regular basis. There are godly women who are involved in Bible studies, who are teaching children, who are teaching other women what it is to be a Christian. What is the power of God in our lives? But in Paul's time, Paul had left left the church for for just a short period of time, and so he he was involved in some other ministry activities, and so then he catches wind that this... uh, the law, this, this circumcision uh, is something that the Judaizers is placing on the Christians. Now, I want to take you back to 15, Acts 15, because we see that in Acts, this is in Antioch, where the church first became known as Christians. Who is there? Peter and a lot of the other apostles are there, and they're, they're established in the church, and the church is growing. And we know that at one point, the church grew so much is that there was persecution that came under the church and caused them to have to flee. And as they fled, as they went out, the gospel got spread. But in Antioch, something was going on. And this is what was going on. Is that Peter was siding with the Judaizers. Peter. 
Now, what I want to share with you about that, what's significant about that, is that this mistruth, this deception, can come from the pulpit, can come from forms of leadership, not just from the pew, not just from the laity. And so we need to be on guard all the time. We need to be like the Bereans and Acts that are searching the Scriptures, that are verifying that what is being said, what is being preached, what is being taught, is true and aligns itself with the truth of God's Word. And so we see that in Acts chapter 15, Paul, or Paul addresses Peter on this issue because he's siding with them. Kind of goes along these, these lines, excuse me. Peter is in Antioch and he's hanging out with the Jews who are converts and Gentiles. And so before he was hanging out with the Jews, he was hanging out with the Gentiles because, as you recall, Peter had a dream, and this dream, this man named Cornelius said, uh, interpreted the dream that, that Peter was what God has called clean, don't call unclean, which what he was actually telling Peter in this dream was the fact that, except the Gentiles, because I have accepted them. When they come to me by faith, they are just the same as the Jews. So they are grafted in, they are part of one body. But what had happened with Peter, when we get to Acts chapter 15, is that Peter was hypocritical. So he was acting one way with the Gentiles, eating with them, saying, slapping them on the backs and saying, hey, yeah, you're part of it, we're all part of one family. And then when the Judaizers came in, all of a sudden he was like, oh, no, nope, I'm sorry, we have to be circumcised. Yes, these brothers are right. So he was feeling the pressure. Peter was feeling the pressure of the crowd. And so what do we know about the Judaizers? So Judaizers supposedly were saved people, but they came from somewhere. And all of us come from somewhere before we came to Christ, before Christ called us unto himself. And with us, we brought those doctrines and those habits and those, those, those thoughts and thought processes and attitudes with us. And, you know, they have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with by the truth of God's Word. And as God's Word goes out, as it permeates our hearts and our minds through prayer and Bible study and good teaching and preaching, we become grounded in the faith. We become stronger in our faith. And when we're out in the workplace, when we're out in the schoolyard, wherever we are, we're going through our day-to-days and our relationships, and people are talking to us about their faith, and they're talking to us about their concerns, we can address those issues about the flesh as it comes up where they're talking about works. Because what Paul is going to remind the Galatians is that it's not by works, but it's by our faith in Jesus Christ and by Him alone. Now I want to show you in Acts chapter 15, this issue about circumcision and about works essentially came up, and so they addressed it. And I'm going to read to you what they wrote, what the apostles wrote. It says, in beginning in verse 23, They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, and to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings, since we have heard that some of you went out from us, have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. 
It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. For you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. And so they addressed circumcision in a letter. And so it was that important that the council sent out this letter, and now we have it here in the Word of God. And so when you go back to Galatians, and you look at Galatians chapter 2, Paul is addressing the Galatians in his letter, and he talks about this. And he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to blame. What was Peter's role? An apostle, a leader of the church, saying is that, you know what, faith and works, faith and works, it works. It's good. I'm good with it. And Paul caught wind of it, and he hustled himself down there to, to Antioch, and he met Peter face to face, in love, of course, but I'm sure he was probably miffed. He probably was heated up, right? Because that's the letter we see in Galatians. But Paul is talking to the Galatians about this very thing, and he goes on and he says, he says, Now I withstood Peter, and I had come to Antioch. I withstood him face to face because he too was to blame. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now, that is hypocrisy. We are guilty of hypocrisy. Because we may act one way with the believers, because as we heard two weeks ago from our sister Lynn, is that we have a special language called the Word of God that we communicate with one another. And so we have a love that we share with one another and an attitude that's different perhaps than in the world. But sometimes when we get in the world, we start palling around with them. And the Bible says, you cannot love the world and love God. You have to hate one and love the other. Hate one, what does that mean? You turn your back on one, which is the world, and we go forward and we accept Christ because Christ has extended himself to us. And so we devote ourselves to Jesus. And so what we see here is that Peter was living this hypocritical life. And then Paul went to address it. So it continues in verse 13. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Bon, Barnabas, another leader within the church, because of Peter's unwillingness to stay committed to the truth. Now, what does that mean? That means there might be times in our lives where we might think works is what we need to get out of the mess we're in. Works might be exactly I will make me feel better before God. Because there are plenty of times I know I feel totally inadequate, as I'm sure you do before God. I feel inadequate in praying. I feel inadequate in preaching. 
I feel inadequate in teaching. I feel inadequate of even being part of the family of God. I feel inadequate of being a part of you. I praise God that he allows me to be a part of this assembly with other believers. And so I'm sure that in my inadequacy, as in your inadequacy, you look for, you might look for ways to work yourself to a place where you can soothe your conscience instead of going to Christ in prayer and laying our concerns out before Him and asking Him for His grace as we cling to Him. We can't cling to Jesus and cling to works. There is nothing good in works. Our best works are as filthy rags. There's nothing. Nothing at all, as Pastor had said earlier. As we continue, he says, excuse me, he says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, he did it publicly, for if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Who are the Jews by nature? Are not they not sinners? Are the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ? Even we have believed in Christ. We might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the flesh, for the works of the, of, the, of the law, no flesh shall be justified. No flesh is justified by works. And so this is what Paul was dealing with. And so he was recounting his experience with Peter. And he was sharing with the Galatian church, this is what went on between Peter and I. And now it's here among us. And I'm going to deal with it. And so he is dealing with this desire to want to include works. So, in Galatians chapter 3, we see there are five questions that Paul asks of the church as he's dealing with this issue in chapter 3. So, it begins like this. Who has bewitched you that you no longer obey the truth? Who has bewitched you that you no longer obey the truth? Bewitching is an influence that is injurious to somebody else, that causes somebody to fall. That's what bewitching is. We think of it as being you know, witchcraft and things like that, which it can be. But in this context, it's only used one time in the Bible. It's used here, bewitching. And so what we actually see is that there is doctrine that is trying to be inserted by the Judaizers to what? To derail the Christians in Galatia, because they are trying to gather to themselves followers, and those followers that they want are the Galatian church. Because Paul, who is a Jew, who has come to Christ, who is preaching Christ, who is living Christ, has now laid the groundwork, and Satan has stepped in to try and dislodge the church. and and in dislodging the church, cause it to, uh, to, to fracture. And so Paul deals with it. He says, who has bewitched you that you no longer obey the truth? So he continues on and he says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or the hearing of faith? He said, how did you believe it? Was it by the law or was it by faith? And he continues on and he said, are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit and you are now being perfected? By the flesh of works. Now, if you've lived 
as a Christian long enough, at some point, you might be faced with that. You might be faced with the desire to want to do for God. You might be faced with a desire to do to prove that you belong to God. But you don't have to do because we already are. And we are because we are in Christ. So the do that happens, happens as a result of Christ living Ephesians 2.8.10 talks about that God has foreordained good works for us to walk in them because then He is glorified and He is honored and we are a part of God's work instead of trying to make God a part of our work and just putting God's name on it and prove ourselves before other people. Plenty of people doing good things, but not everybody that's doing good things are doing God's thing. Right? So we see that. But the church... And fall prey to that. And that's what was happening here. So he continues on. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed, if indeed it was vain. He said, you know, you've become to Christ. You've heard me preach. You've seen it with your own eyes. You've experienced it through the miracles, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given the church. You've experienced that. We've experienced that as a people. And he says, now you want to back out. Now you want to add something else to it. Faith was not what was good enough then, but it's not good enough now. But faith is always good enough because faith is what's required in Jesus Christ to be saved, to be justified. And so as he continues, he said, but, you know, you did all these things in vain? There are things as believers that we had to give up when we came to Christ. There was a lifestyle that you probably lived. Probably a lifestyle you may have enjoyed. Friends that you enjoyed. Relatives that accepted you. The world accepted you. Advancements and things were right before you. But then when you came to Christ, everything changed. All of a sudden, you were no longer a friend of the world. All of a sudden, there were no more jokes. All of a sudden, the girls don't want to hang around with you anymore. Now, all of a sudden, now you're a Bible thumper. All of a sudden, now you think you're better than everybody else. So... There are a lot of things that came as a result of us coming to Christ that Christ required if we were going to follow him. Because you can't be friends of the world and belong to Christ. There's no way. Because he requires us to be totally and fully committed to him. And Paul is taking them back down memory lane and saying, look, you know this happened. It happened in your lives. I saw it. You saw it. We experienced it. But now you want to require other people to be circumcised to say that they are actually believers. That was the issue. It's Christ plus something. But the Bible says it's Christ and only Christ plus nothing. And so we live in a world today that still preaches that. Yes, you have Jesus, but Jesus plus this. If you give enough, if you're moral enough, if you... If you have the sacraments, if you do this and you do that, that'll make you a better Christian. No, we are perfect in Christ Jesus, period, because of our faith in Him. And this is what Paul was dealing with. So we go back and we ask about works. What do we know about works? What does the Bible say about works? Well, the Bible says this. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says that our best works are as filthy rags. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is totally God. Solo Christus, solo grati, solo fide, all faith, all Christ, all grace. It is all God. It is all the Holy Spirit of God. It is all Jesus Christ who is God. None of it is us. It'll never be us. It'll never be good enough, ever. And he continues on in Galatians 2.16 about these works. No one is justified by the law. This is what Paul was trying to tell the Galatians. You say circumcision and it's no big thing because you want to stay tied to the law. But this tied to the law pollutes the Word of God. It changes it. It makes it a lie because now we're saying that if I accept works, Christ is not good enough. And he is making it quite clear here that Christ is everything. Our works are nothing. So you, it says in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Titus 3.5, it is God's mercy towards sinners. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit within us. Romans 10.13 and 17, how do we come about salvation? It's laid out in Romans 10, 13, 17. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And he continues on. How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? You've heard that question. Well, what about the guy or the gal that's out in some crazy jungle out somewhere? How are they going to be saved? Well, God can work miraculously. He doesn't need a person. But generally, what he uses is the gospel. 99.9% of the time, he uses the gospel. Because the gospel is getting out. It's getting out to all nations. It's on the airwaves. People can hear about Jesus Christ in the gospel. And so he continues on in Romans 13 through 17. And how are they to believe in him and whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing through the word of Christ. Your Bible, my Bible, is an indispensable tool for the Christian life, for any of life. The Word of God, this, this Word of God, this book, this book that people hate is what we love. And we love it because it is what God has given us that we can live these Christian lives powerful. And we can live it in accordance to what His expectations for our lives are so we can bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for our sins. Now continue on, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the wages of sin are death. We talked about that. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. How does he draw him? Through the Holy Spirit of God. Perhaps today you're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. You feel inside you this desire to want to know God better. You feel within you that you have strayed because you have tried to take works in your mind or in your communication with others and and tell others it's okay. I mean, we all want to be and get along with others. But there are certain religions within America that separate us from the grace of God because they set up works as the means by which we can be approved by God. It's what's comfortable to me. It's not what's approved by God that we're concerned about when we go to works, when we go down that trail. But let's talk about works. Works as it relates to post-salvation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When you and I got saved, all of a sudden, God had a plan for good works in each of our lives. He laid out those opportunities. My question is, are you and I taking full advantage of that? Or are we too inconvenienced? I mean, it's, I don't, I, you know, I really don't feel like it. I'm busy. I'm sorry that you're going through that, but I just don't have time. We pass somebody up on the road. We pass by a neighbor. We don't say a good word. Because we're caught up in ourselves. We're caught up in our own minds because we're not caught up in Christ. Our minds aren't on heavenly things. But we have lost our way because these good works are not to justify us before God, before a holy God, but they are part of God's plan that we can share in His redemptive plan for society, for humankind. And as we continue, we see James 2, 17 through 19. He talks about what, just what we're talking about. So also, faith by itself, it does, it does not have works. It's dead. You can't say you're a believer in Christ and then not do good works. You can't live in isolation. You can't live an isolated life. You have to be engaged in society. You have to be engaged in the church. We have to be about helping one another out as we heard last week from Brother Dayron, about actually relieving one another's suffering. We have to be there to encourage one another. And that's what James is saying. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. An excellent point is that to believe in God is not sufficient. And you and I will meet people that say, I believe in God. Well, guess what? The devil believes in God and the demons, and they're terrified. They're terrified. And if we only believe in God, we better be terrified because hell is just a breath away. And Jesus Christ is here reaching out to us today, calling us unto himself that we can be a part of what he is doing. So in James, we see that there is... No argument, really. You have to have, if you have faith, you have to have works. But if you have works and your faith is not in Christ Jesus, your path is a path to hell. That's where it's headed. 
because you're on a works-based faith, and there is no such thing as works-based faith in the Christian Christianity. You cannot be saved that way. So, in conclusion, what I'd like to what I'd like to define here is how do we defend ourselves from deception? You might ask yourself that. Well, number one, 2 Timothy two twenty five says, "Study the Scriptures." Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How many of us do not rightly divide the word of truth? Because we don't know the truth. Now, you don't have to know every location, chapter, and verse. It's helpful, but at least you need to know the truth, and you need to know it in its context. You need to know how to apply it. Otherwise, we're not applying truth, we're applying a lie. And this is what the Judaizers were doing. This is what they were doing. They were taking, they were believers and they had some truth going on and they decided they were going to take this lie about circumcision and attach it to salvation. And all of a sudden, everybody was going to live happily ever after. Well, guess what? It totally destroys the deity of Jesus Christ. It destroys Him as God. And He will not be destroyed. He will not share His kingdom with anybody. He is preeminent. And this is what the Galatians had forgotten because they got lazy. They got sloppy in their Christian disciplines. They got sloppy in their love for Christ. They got sloppy in their prayer life. We can't live sloppy lives and be effective Christians. And that's what Paul is saying. You have to be committed. You just can't know it. You've got to live it. I have to live it each and every day. And yes, temptation is difficult. And as I was speaking with Brother Dayron about temptation and our own preparations, it's like as you obey Christ and you desire to serve the Father, you will go through different types of temptations and difficulties. Jesus said that. Jesus said we would suffer persecution, not just from the outside, but also inside. Intellectually, mentally, emotionally, we will suffer because we are under attack, but the grace of God is sufficient for all that we go through. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Daily present yourselves to God for His service. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect? When we know the Word of God, we can know the will of God. People within the church have often said, what is the will of God for my life? Have you ever said, asked that question, what is the will of God for my life? What does that mean? If you want to know what the will of God is, read the Word of God. And then we'll save that for another sermon. But the will of God is apparent within the Scriptures. My encouragement is to continue to stay steadfast in the Scriptures so we can prove what is the will of God. And when you're talking to somebody, your spirit will quicken. And you'll say, you know what, that doesn't sound right. And you'll reject it. Because the Holy Spirit is at work in you saying, that is not truth from the Word of God. And so... We continue on, and he says in Philippians 4, 6, he says, pray. Paul says, pray. Do not, do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't fret as best as you can, as best as you can. Remind yourself to commit yourself to Christ and his care for you, because 
He loves you. He loves me and He cares for us. And when we have peace with Christ in our anxious times, He can rule within us and through us to accomplish His purpose. Because His purpose is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. We have already been transformed, but there's still this conforming that's going on in the likeness of Christ. And lastly, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, always be ready. Paul told Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. It's not just for pastors, it's not just for preachers, it's just not for teachers. Know the word, get in the word, let the word come out of you, preach the word. In our relational evangelism, when we're talking to our neighbors and our friends and those in our families, you will have all kinds, which you probably already have, opportunities to bring Christ into the picture and to share your faith and to actually talk about what he's doing and take some of the scripture you've learned and just kind of apply it, not kind of apply it, actually apply it in the conversation and the Holy Spirit will begin to work within the hearts and minds of people. We don't have to be scholarly when we talk to people. Just know the Word so you can apply the Word, and the Word will do the rest as it cultivates the heart and the mind. So, he says to pray with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. As we heard a couple weeks ago from, from Edwin, he says, you know, you don't have to pray, you don't have to be thankful for what it is we're going through, but you could be thankful for um, the fact that Christ is with us and bringing us through that situation. In James 4, 7, he says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Something we need to practice. Three simple steps. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And how does that happen by knowing Scripture? Jesus, when he was tempted, when he was faced with anxieties as a human being, he used Scripture. So he submitted to God, and he resisted the devil, and the devil fleed from him. And as we all know, is to do what is right according to the Word of God, and be difficult. But let me encourage you that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace, as the angels ministered to Jesus, God's grace will minister to us in our time of need. So when you're feeling pressed, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Because the Christ that saved you is the Christ that keeps you. He loves you. He loves me. And lastly, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, always be ready. I charge you in the presence of God. We were reading this. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is what we were just talking about in our, relational, uh, in our relationships with other people when we're talking about evangelism. Where he goes on and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So people are going to say, You're out of your mind. What are you talking about? You're crazy. And they'll just turn their back on you. But you take heart because you belong to Christ. 
doing just what he's called you to do, which is to share the word of God. And he continues on, he says, They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they accumulate for themselves teachers and to suit their own passions. We see that today. Big churches, mega churches, fancy churches, money, dripping of money. And so, you don't have to chase after that. There's a lot of God and a lot of sound doctrine being taught in little churches just like this. Sunday to Sunday, Wednesday to Wednesday. People of God, the remnant, hungering to walk close with their God. Hungering to go deeper in their love relationship with Christ. Hungering to have meaningful relationships with one another that glorify God. That's what we experience here. And I encourage you to continue continue to pursue Christ and be a part of a Bible-believing church. If you, have not, if you are not a member, we ask you to consider here. We invite you to continue to come and participate and be a part of us as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues and he ends up and he says, you know what? He said, some will turn away after, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And this is what happened with Paul in Galatia. They were, they were wandering off into a myth. The myth was that works could somehow make you acceptable before God. And he says, as for you, Paul says to Timothy, and I would say this to each of you here, and remind myself, As to you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Your ministry to your family. Your ministry to your wife. Your ministry to your husband. Your ministry to your children. Your ministry to the workplace. Your ministry here at Cornerstone. Your ministry out in the world, wherever you are, whatever you do, fulfill your ministry. Glory to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you and ask you in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, help us to fulfill our ministries. Help us not to fall prey to deceptive doctrines and deceptive ideas because all that is needed was complete in Christ Jesus. You, Lord Jesus, who are perfect took our sin, took my sin upon you and paid my penalty. Who could ever do that? But a holy God, a loving God, a merciful God in Christ Jesus. We thank you, we praise you, we ask your blessing upon us and our families that we would draw closer unto you and we would be people of the word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.